BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hi there, I'm Randad Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, holiday movies. In a time of uncertainty, the made-for-TV holiday movie offers a world of good cheer, maybe a few good songs, and a reliably happy ending. And Hallmark, Lifetime, and Netflix and other major outlets are now offering viewers literally hundreds of titles. This hour, we look at why holiday movies are so popular hear from you about your favorites, and answer the question, is Die Hard a holiday movie? Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Frosted window panes, candles gleaming inside, painted candy canes on the tree. With Christmas Eve tomorrow, we break down the holiday movie, which overwhelmingly features Christmas over other celebrations, as well as sweet, simple storylines, like career woman finds love in small rural town, or single parent gets fixed up by kid. Invariably, a holiday song performance gets thrown in, or baked goods. But as predictable as they are, the genre is growing and becoming more inclusive, according to some critics, as major streaming services get into the game and compete with the Hallmark Channel and Lifetime. So what's the popularity? What's the staying power of the holiday movie? For that, we turn to you, our listeners, and to my three guests. Let me introduce them to you. Ashley Smith is entertainment writer and author of the forthcoming book, You're Watching Disney Channel. Ashley Smith, thanks so much for being with us. And Kristen, Hi, thank you for having me. <laughs> there you are. Great to have you. Kristen Meinzer is also with us, co-host of the podcast Movie Therapy with Rafer and Kristen. Kristen Meinzer, glad to have you on as well. Thanks for having me. 
And Linda Holmes, co-host of NPR's Culture Happy Hour, is with us as well. Linda Holmes, glad to have you on. Oh, thank you. Hi. So, Linda, start us off. Why do people love holiday movies? You know, I think that um, when you are coming to a time of year when maybe you have more stress and maybe you have more free time, depending on your schedule, um, a lot of times you have a lot of family around having a kind of a reliable, not too challenging genre to check out, I think is is often something that appeals to people. And it's, you know, it's, it's a happy thing, right? Yeah. Well, Ashley, I think you said that it's something that you do with your mom every year, right? I do. And, and I'm home right now with my family for the holidays. And it is, uh, without a doubt, every night, um, invariably what my mom turns to, you know, the question is, what do we want to watch? Uh, is it scary? Is it sad? And and you want the answers to those things to be no. And, and for that, you look to Hallmark Lifetime and Netflix Christmas movies. So comfortable, cozy, safe. Kristen, I know that for you, it's even more than just sort of soothing easy watching it sounds like well first you've said that you would defend holiday movies to the oh, death but absolutely <laughs> and i, I want to hear why yeah <laughs> well i think they get a really bad rap but in fact they are and all made for tv movies for that matter are in fact centering women's stories in a way that mainstream hollywood fare just doesn't 85 percent of speaking roles in major hollywood films are still going to men. And that's not the case in holiday movies. We get to see women's stories centered. We get to see plots where they have rich internal lives, where their job is not just to say, oh, honey, it's so dangerous out there. Are you going to be okay? They get to you know, deal with their internal conflicts. And even though those internal conflicts for a lot of people look overly simplified, like, oh, is it my big career with the corporation? Or is it my love of this small town and this man who makes syrup here? You know, Maybe that's overly simplified, but it still is centering a woman and she gets to have those, you know, insecurities, those questions, that trajectory that takes us from, you know, the beginning where she maybe is a little bit too hard to that moment in the end where she has some softness, she has some love, she's surrounded by Christmas magic. What's not to love there? I also want to point out that a lot of uh, made-for-TV Christmas movies that they also include actors who might not otherwise be cast in movies in Hollywood because they're, uh, I'm, I'm using finger quotes here, which you can't see, they're too old. They're, you know, huh. over 40. They're spent. Oh, they had that big sitcom in the 90s. What do we need them for now? But made-for-TV movies give those female actors a place where they can really shine. And I, I'm all in favor of that. I, I think they're revolutionary in that way. Hollywood <laughs> should take note. Nice. Well, that was a great defense. I'm really curious, Linda Holmes, what are some of the ways that these films are designed to evoke the kinds of feelings that you describe to be so easy to take in? Well, you know, they are made to a formula, as you know, if you've seen very many of them, they are made to a pretty specific formula. And so they are low stress to watch because you kind of know what the shape is going to be once you see what category it falls into, whether it's a, you know, woman goes back home and resists, but then realizes she wants to move back to her small town or whether it's, 
a woman tries to save her own small business or a woman runs into her old boyfriend. Once you know what category it falls into, you kind of know what the shape of it is going to be. And then um, it's kind of all in the execution. So you're not in suspense. You are not um, sweating a sad outcome. Like, unfortunately, with a lot of, you know, um, the higher um, prestige movies, I would say, you do have to worry about things like, is somebody going to die? Is somebody going to get shot? And at least with these movies, you do not have those super stressful things. You can also uh, watch them with kids because in most cases on most of these channels, it's not going to be like too sexy for you to watch with your kid or too sexy for you to watch with your parents. It, they just take a lot of the friction out of the TV watching experience, I think. And uh, the other thing that I noticed about them is that they all tend to have very, like, similar titles, Linda? They do. That's true. I mean, I think they are intended to be as interchangeable as possible. That's another way in which they kind of remove the friction. You are really supposed to be able to look at it and it'll have like a Christmas word like evergreen or holly or mistletoe or Christmas um, or snow. And then there will be often, not always, but often some kind of pun or there will be some kind of place name like Dollywood or the Plaza or someplace like that that will give you an idea of what the setting is. Mm. And it's not an accident. They're meant to sort of make you feel like, well, I don't have to necessarily figure out whether I want this specific one because once I see kind of what the layout is, you know, I kind of know whether this is the kind I like. Do I like a fake romance story? Do I like a, you know, old boyfriend story? Then you can just kind of watch it because they are sort of all the same. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. So are episodes of like most crime procedurals. So. So Ashley Spencer, I should say, give me a sense of the uh, numbers. What are the numbers like in terms of viewership? Well, the numbers just go up and up, and it seems like there really is no limit on, on when we'll reach uh, peak Christmas and the capacity of, of how far this can go. So this year, Lifetime has 35 new Christmas movies, Hallmark has 41, and Netflix has eight. And all of those have increased um, over the last few years. So it slowed a bit with the pandemic, but they still managed to up their numbers by at least one or two from what they were doing in 2020 and 2019. Yeah, given some of the issues with production during during the pandemic, I'm shocked that they were able to still increase their numbers. And of course, this is on top of their already existing library of these things. Can you give me a sense, Ashley, of how the networks are different? I mentioned Hallmark, Lifetime, and then there's like Netflix and other streaming services. What have you noticed is the biggest differences between them? Yeah, so Hallmark is kind of the king of Christmas. They were the first ones to get into the game. Every year they begin their Christmas movie rollout in October, a few weeks ahead of Lifetime usually. And I guess you could look at Hallmark. They are traditionally the most conservative of the films. They, they're they maybe a little bit more religious undertones. They follow a bit more of the um, pastoral kind of idealizing the small town uh, return from this harried woman in the big city. But that's been changing. Um, that's changed over the last couple of years. They've um, diversified their casting a bit more. Lifetime, similar to Hallmark, I mean, they're all, <laughs> to the untrained eye, you might not be able to tell the difference between any of these. But Lifetime, it's a bit more glossy. 
they lean in a bit more to pop culture. There might be a uh, former pop star who is now coming home for the holidays. There'll be a, a breakout song number. You know, they have Kelly Rowland in their stable. They have a, a bit more of that that glamour, while Hallmark goes a bit more on the tried and true, uh, cozy small town Christmas. Netflix Netflix runs the gamut. They kind of are doing a little bit of everything um, and they have a much smaller library. So they only have eight um, this year. So it's not quite this mass quantity, but they have, you know, A Castle for Christmas with Brooke Shields and um, Carrie Elways from uh, The Princess Bride. They have The Princess Switch with three Vanessa Hudgens and this year it's a bit of a heist scenario. Um, They have Single All the Way, um, which is the gay Christmas romance. Um, so it, it really goes all over the place, but I think, um, you know, across all of them and, and what, um, Kristen was saying was is so true that they really give a platform to women, um, of a certain age. They also lean into this nostalgia mm. of, of women that you recognize from your own childhood of actors that were in shows you loved growing up like full house and um the wonder years and and all of those stars candace cameron bray and tamara mowry they're all popping up across all of these different platforms now kristen you mentioned that you don't go to hallmark as much as you go to other channels why well i really prefer movies that show more diversity and for a long time The Hallmark movies were almost exclusively white cast members. They absolutely, there was, I'm sure many people know about this, uh, an opposition to showing gay stories for a very long time. And the other networks were a little bit more open-minded about that. I want to see people of color. I want to see people who look like me in the movies. And I want to see stories that are not just, uh, you know, valorizing small town life, which is a lot of what Hallmark was doing for a long time. I think it's totally possible to have a magical Christmas movie that's set in LA. I think it's possible to have a magical Christmas movie where they're in the big city and you fall in love with somebody who's in the neighboring office, you know, down the hallway. And, um, you know, Hallmark just wasn't doing that as much. And so I actually, my biggest movies that I was a fan of before the Hallmark movies were actually the ABC made for TV movies, ABC Family and Disney, because they were very aware that their demographic, the children that they were marketing to were growing up, that those children were more diverse and that they didn't look like the Hallmark movies. So I was a big fan for quite a while of those ABC family movies, like the Mistletone starring Mm. Tia Maori and Tori Spelling, or, um, you know, A Diva's Christmas Carol, which was actually on VH1 with Vanessa Williams. I, I, I liked those movies that showed a little bit more diversity, a little bit more of, you know, tongue in cheek, sense of humor and so on. And that's one other thing. Um, Hallmark doesn't always have much of a sense of humor. They're very earnest and there's nothing wrong with that. But <laughs> but not your thing. <laughs> We're talking with Kristen Weinzer, Linda Holmes and Ashley Spencer about holiday movies. And you, our listeners, are invited to share your favorites at 866-733-6786. Stay with us for more. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the popularity of holiday movies and what makes a good holiday movie and how they're changing, especially as more outlets get into the game. We're talking with Linda Holmes, co-host of NPR's Culture Happy Hour, Kristen Meinzer, co-host of the podcast Movie Therapy with Rafer and Kristen, and Ashley Spencer, entertainment writer and author of the forthcoming book, You're Watching Disney Channel. And of course, you, our listeners, are with us sharing your favorite holiday movies or tell us what ingredients does a movie need to make it a holiday movie for you. Give us a call at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. Get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. Check us out on Instagram and type your comments there. Email us, forum at kqed.org. Let me go to Tim in Los Angeles. Hi, Tim. Hi, good morning. How are you? I'm well. Good. Okay, so my favorite movie and uh, of, of all Christmas movies, and this is an adult Christmas movie. This is not for kids. Okay. And there are a lot of us out there that have, you know, our families are all adults. We don't have children. So my favorite movie is called Tangerine. And I think it came out in 2016. So you might have to dive deep to find it. But it's about two African-American transgender women. And the main character, Cindy, uh, was just released from prison. And the premise of the story is she's trying to find her boyfriend. So there are so many parts of this movie that are are so good. There's some that are so cringeworthy, but in the best way possible, (laughs) where things just go all off the rails. And um, but yeah. At the very end of the story, you realize the, the the day is Christmas Eve, and the very end of the story is Christmas Day. And it, it's just the adventure that some of us need at this time of the year. So, yeah. again, not for kids, but okay. definitely worth a watch. Well, so Tim, thanks. Yeah, me. thanks for sharing that. I can tell that you are really excited about that. And I love the fact that you were saying that it features transgender Black leads. And... Linda Holmes, one of the things that uh, I think you've been saying, too, is that streaming services have pushed holiday movies to be more diverse. Can you just talk quickly about what they're doing, how they're kind of helping, say, the Hallmarks and Lifetimes elevate uh, their their offerings? Well, I think the first place to really put pressure on Hallmark was Lifetime. I think Lifetime in general, and especially with Christmas, was very wise, <laughs> excuse me, was very wise to, <coughs> to recognize that there was an opening to make more films that were for and featuring black women um, in love stories. And I think um, a lot of that early pressure on Hallmark actually came directly from Lifetime. And then when you added in Netflix um, and you added in, you know, now uh, Ashley was talking about how many um, some of these other um, outlets have, but also the number of outlets participating is expanding, right? Food Network had one this year. Mm. Um, VH1 has them, BET has them, uh, OWN has them. So the more outlets get involved, um, you know, other outlets kind of stepped into that gap. And although it's true that there is also a new um, person in charge of Hallmark, um, I think that um, the pressure from other outlets has nudged them Hallmark 
to become more inclusive and to push back on the idea that they were going to lose viewership. Cause yeah. I think they were losing viewership as Kristen said, for not being even remotely inclusive. Well, Netflix has a gay holiday rom-com that features a black lead that's been getting a lot of attention. It's called Single All the Way. And it's about a best friend, Nick, played by Philemon Chambers, who is secretly in love with his friend, Peter, played by Michael Hury, a trope that has been in holiday movies before. But what's really lovely about this is I believe it's their first rom-com, gay rom-com like this, and it also features a black lead. And we have a cut of tape from Single All the Way. And this is where Michael Yuri's character asks um, Philemon Chambers' character to come home with him for Christmas and pretend to be his boyfriend so that his family will get off his case about being single. Yuri speaks first. Let's hear it. I think you should come home with me. We can pretend we fell in love after all these years. <laughs> Wait, hold on, hold up. My family already asked why we're not just together. Oh, all straight people ask that about gay friends. I mean, besides, I stocked up for my first holiday staycation. Your first solo holiday staycation. I love a solo holiday staycation. You've never done a solo holiday staycation. You've always had a boyfriend. All right. <gasps> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But we're not going to pretend to do the boyfriend thing. Yeah, we are. It's the greatest present I could possibly give my parents. <laughs> That's from Single All the Way. And joining me now is Philemon Chambers from Single All the Way, which, Philemon, thanks so much for being on with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really do appreciate it. <laughs> I understand that this is your first full length feature film. Yes, yes. This is my feature film debut with Single All The Way. Yeah. Well, congratulations. I, I watched it last night and prepped for this show and I really, really enjoyed it. And of course, as we were hearing from our guests and other um, and when we were talking about the way that films are diversifying, Black Leads in Gay Films is not new. But I do wonder if the fact that this is a holiday film, right, like arguably the most mainstream of mainstream spaces, if that means something to you. Oh, it means the world to me. Um, you know, you hit the nail on the head. Um, queer folk, um, Black queer folk have been in uh, TV and film, but... The caveat to that is the portrayal in which we are portrayed is usually in a negative connotation. Mm -hmm. And uh, with this being a holiday film, um, there is nothing but love and joy and happiness. And, um, you know, it, it's a it's a different take on our experience. And I'm super, super excited about that. And it means the world to me to have this positive um, representation out there. Yes, it's it's a total departure from the obsession Hollywood seems to have with black and brown pain. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that is that is something about it that is really great. And I know that you've said that being in this film actually helped you understand yourself as a gay man. How did it do yeah. that? Well, I say it now a lot, um, but being I, I never really um, shied away from who I was once I came out to my parents. Um, you know, if somebody asked, I would, you know, yeah, I am who I am, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but there is a difference from being um, out and then there is a difference of being out to the world mm. because there is, um, you know, there's a lot that comes with that. And I, I playing Nick got 
way more comfortable and especially with being around Michael Urie, um, who was also a queer man, Luke McFarlane, who was also a queer man, mm-hmm. being director, our executive producer, um, having them uh, be there with me, um, it, it made me a lot more comfortable and accepting of myself. Uh, so now that I am able to actually talk about it openly and freely and unapologetically. It sounds like a film like this would have had an impact on you when you were a kid if you had seen something like it. Oh, yes, 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 yes. If I would have had something like this when I was younger, my life would have been completely different. I would have accepted myself way sooner. I would have finally seen some positive representation out there for queer folk. Um, And then also, too, you know, with that, things come in time and, you know, it, it kind of sucks that we're finally getting a film like this, but um, to the generation, my generation now, and to the younger generation, we do have something like, like this. So with that younger generation, just think now that they have that, how their lives are going to turn out, because these are our next actors. These are our next producers, our next writers, our next, our next. So I'm super, super excited to see what happens and what comes from this. Well, I'm curious how your life has changed <laughs> since Netflix oh, released single all the way at the beginning of this month. You know, it has been a whirlwind. I'm not going to lie to you. I have, um, I've been flooded with DMs, some naughty, some nice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's, it's been, honestly, I have been Godsmacked the whole entire time. Um, you know, when f- filming... Of course, uh, you know, we knew that we were doing something different. We knew that we were putting out something that was full of love and support. And, uh, you know, I never could have imagined the just the, the pure joy that people are receiving from this film and how many people um, this film is connecting to. And, and to the people that I didn't think the film would connect to they're taking something away from it and they're asking, you know, asking questions and trying to have these conversations. And um, my life has, has, has literally been, I have been on cloud nine (laughs) December 2nd. I have. Well, I, I am so happy to hear that. And so appreciate you coming on to talk with us. Thanks so much, Fleeman. No, thank you. I really do appreciate it. I'm happy you love the movie. I am very happy. And like I said, Netflix, you know, always has something up their sleeves. So, <laughs> yeah. Happy holidays to you as well. Happy holidays. Thank you so much. Philemon Chambers, an actor who stars in the Netflix holiday movie Single All the Way. And of course, that's exactly what we're talking about, holiday movies, why they're popular, how they're changing. And you, our listeners, are with us. And let me get some more calls in. Helen in San Francisco. Hi, Helen. Hi there. Hi. What's on your mind? Well, I just wanted to add to the conversation and share my genesis of watching frankly, Hallmark movies, which transcended into, obviously, the holiday movies. And the real motivation was during the Trump administration. Um, I received so much ridicule and criticism from my friends um, because I consider myself a good, progressive, open-minded individual. And yet, the Hallmark channel called to me because people were just 
really nice to one another. <laughs> and there was a happy ending and communities got together to help one another with, you know, fill in the blank, the Christmas festival, the Valentine's Day dance. I watch it all year long. Um, not as much during the Biden administration, but it just um, was something to remind me of kindness. And um, it just yeah. it still resonates with me. And I feel like it's an important thing for us to remind ourselves, frankly, of the function and role of community and how important that is. And, yeah, they're hokey and goofy and completely predictable. But I have a fantasy of creating a Hallmark film festival here in San Francisco, which I think I want the Castro. If you're listening, anybody at the Castro Theater, <laughs> I would love the Castro to host a film festival. And actually, some friends of mine and I have created drinking games, which is completely antithetical to the Hallmark message for like all the cues, you know, cue these snowball you know the snowball fight cues falling on the ice um while you're learning how to ice skate and each yeah. other's arms i think um, cnn I, has like a bingo card with those that you can play bingo with <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's really ridiculous and actually i will give hallmark credit for incorporating and really embracing a lot of gay storylines um, they've made that transition, which, again, I think is important for the audience that watches Hallmark to start seeing those kinds of relationships. Mm. I think that's great. Well, and so yeah. and I want to know what one of those hot chocolate recipes are, because all they do is drink hot chocolate. I don't you know, I don't get it. But that's anyway. Yeah, so those there's got to be something terms. in those. <laughs> Yeah, I actually at Thanksgiving came out to my family and told them that I watch Hallmark all the time, and they were they were accepting. <laughs> I'm a little mortified. Well, <laughs> I, I'm glad you were able to get that off your chest, and and you also for underscoring some of the points that we were already making earlier. You are clearly a, a true fan, and uh, Linda Holmes. I don't know if you have any reaction to what Helen has been describing here, but I love the confessional nature of it. Yeah, you know, it's funny um, when we were talking about when she was talking about this as a comfort um, sort of piece of television. My first memory of watching these movies uh, as an adult was in 2005 um, or 2004. I was watching uh, as I was waiting for a medical test result to come back and it was fine, but it was an extraordinarily tough weekend. It was one of those where like you get it on Friday and you got to wait till Monday and um, a very hard weekend. And that's when I sort of discovered watching a lot of these at a time. And so I get it. Like I get it. And I think it's absolutely true that, you know, there's a lot to be said for movies where people are nice to each other. And that may not be a, a sophisticated interpretation of art, but I totally get it. So Kristen Meinzer, you know, we were just talking with Fleeman Chambers a moment ago about, about these films. And one of the things that I was struck by was while Netflix, um, he's a fresh new face on Netflix, it, it seems like a lot of the actors, and, and I think you alluded to this, um, it, are people from sort of 90s sitcoms. Can you talk a little bit about why they tend to be these familiar faces? One is that you were saying that it, it gives people an opportunity to act maybe past 
um, a certain age because the the business can be pretty hard on yes. aging. But but yeah, can you can you talk about what that does if that's part of the formula? Yes, I, it absolutely gives people who their target demographic is. Um, a sense of nostalgia, a sense of what's familiar. And isn't that what a holiday movie really is about? It's about a familiar plot line. It's about a familiar holiday that we already have our own memories imposed on and that, uh, you know, commercial culture has imposed memories also back at us. And so to have certain aspects of commercial culture that have already been imposed on us in the past to come back in a familiar way, it's almost like the happy version of the ghost of Christmas past coming back to us, right? And I personally love seeing it, and all of the made-for-TV movie makers seem to know it, too. I mean, look at who's in these movies. We have everyone from Mario Lopez to Melissa Joan Hart. Um, Holly you know, Robinson J Pete, yeah. <laughs> yes, Jason Priestley has directed them before. We've had, as I already mentioned, Tia Mowry. We have a lot of, you know, older actors. And again, I use older in finger quotes here, but, you know, uh, like Kristen Davis uh, and uh, Rob Lowe, people who, you know, others might see as past their prime, but who are just like seeing old family members for those of us who grew up with them. So yeah. I, I, I think it's wonderful. And it makes total sense to me if the holiday movies are to a great extent about commercialized nostalgia to bring back what commercialized nostalgia was back in the day for us. Well, Ashley Spencer, what does it mean for an actor's career to do one of these movies? Because in Fleeman Chambers' case, it sounds like it's really opening a lot of doors. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, especially when you look at the Hallmarks and the Lifetimes, which have such a huge quantity of films, and they have this stable that they, they're referred to by fans as the Christmas queens, the women who pop up again and again, the Candace Cameron Bure's and Lacey Chabert's, and they come up again and again. And so if you're an actress who the work has maybe dried up um, in theatrical releases, you can't get a, a cable series greenlit, Hallmark and Lifetime are there and mm. they're writing paychecks consistently year after year. It's a stable gig. If you're, you know, uh, an actress that the viewers turn into that they want to watch, it's a really great opportunity to kind of be in this fa family uh, every year. I think it's fascinating that uh, Lori Laughlin is using it to rehabilitate her career, right? Well, okay. So or is she Lori being Laughlin, rehabilitated? <laughs> the the Lori Laughlin thing is interesting because her she was a she was before the college admission scandal. She was part of the Hallmark family. After the scandal, Hallmark put out a statement and distanced themselves from her. However, the former CEO of Hallmark's parent company, Bill Abbott, now runs a different network called the GAC Family Network. It is really reverting to those. Uh, old Hallmark ethos of uh, a little bit more exclusionary. It's mainly um, cis, hetero, white romances. And they have uh, worked on rehabilitating Lori Laughlin. So her Christmas movie this year is with them called When Hope Calls a Country Christmas. And Hallmark was quick to put out a statement saying um, they are not uh, part of that. Ah, oh, wow. Well, we are talking about holiday movies and learning a lot about the, how the industry works as well from Linda Holmes, Kristen Meinzer, and Ashley Spencer. And we'll have more with them after the break. Stay with us. This is Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. From GQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, holiday movies. In a time of uncertainty, the made-for-TV holiday movie offers a world of good cheer, maybe a few good songs, and a reliably happy ending. And Hallmark, Lifetime, and Netflix and other major outlets are now offering viewers literally hundreds of titles. This hour, we look at why holiday movies are so popular, hear from you about your favorites, and answer the question, is Die Hard a holiday movie? Join us. We're talking about holiday movies and the dreams that they make come true and why that is so much a part of the allure. We're talking with Ashley Spencer, entertainment writer and author of the forthcoming book, You're Watching Disney Channel. Kristen Meinzer, co-host of the podcast Movie Therapy with Rafer and Kristen and Linda Holmes, co-host of NPR's Culture Happy Hour. And of course, you, our listeners, are with us sharing your recommendations and what you love about holiday movies. Doris writes, I loved Stubby Pringles Christmas. It starred Bo Bridges and was made in the 70s. Wish I could find it now. Heidi writes, Over Christmas, a German three-episode limited series romance on Netflix. A young man goes home for Christmas and his ex-girlfriend is dating his brother, among other issues. Everyone lives in denial of something. Fun, short series. Eileen writes, I saw the movie Holiday last year. I believe on Up TV, two beautiful people meet and complain that they never have dates for the holidays and their families give them a hard time. They make a pact to be each other's dates for holidays for a whole year. Nature takes its course and they fall in love. Totally predictable, but sweet and fun. 
And finally, Joel writes, my favorite is home for the holidays, a train wreck of a family just trying to make it through the holiday. My favorite part is the ending that shows everyone's favorite not holiday related family memory. You can keep the schlocky holiday feel good movies. All right. Well, let's let's hear some of your recommendations. I'm actually really curious, um, Kristen Meinzer, of a film that you have watched recently, one of the new ones that has come out that has surprised you or delighted you that you would recommend. Oh, my gosh. A recent one. So within the last couple of years, you mean? Yes. Well, I have got to confess that I absolutely loved the YA miniseries Dash and Lily. I am not the target demographic. <laughs> it is about two teenagers who meet because uh, one of them, Lily, she leaves a note in a book and is hoping that whoever finds that book will track her down and they can become, you know, uh, pen pals or maybe oh. fall in love over the holidays. And it's sweet. It's just a multi-part series about two teenagers and the difficulties they're having at home and how they find a little bit of romance and a little bit of Christmas magic with each other. That came out last year, and I just think it's delightful. It's a Netflix <laughs> series. How about you, Ashley Spencer? Recent. Well, I've got a few, a few from this year that I have loved. Um, so A Christmas Dance Reunion, which is on Lifetime, that is one of those fully playing into the nostalgia. It stars Corbin Blue and Monique Coleman of High School Musical fame. And it, the great thing about it is that in, in High School Musical, they were the co-stars. They weren't the leads. And fans really wanted them to get together and kiss. And so this movie is full fan service. They are now um, two Black actors leading this holiday film. And they get to dance and kiss. And it's just delightful. Um, and then I also loved, this is a bit outside of the genre because it's not a romance. Um, it's on HBO Max. It's a new one called 8-Bit Christmas. And it's essentially a modern take on a Christmas story where instead of a Red Ryder BB gun, the kid wants an Nintendo. And it's set in the 80s and it co-stars Neil Patrick Harris, Steve Zahn, June Diane Raphael. And it was just pure joy. It was mm. so fun and nostalgic. Yeah, actually, I think I caught the beginning of that, but hadn't finished it yet. Linda Holmes, what about you? Well, I really loved Dash and Lily also. I want to say that first. Um, <laughs> second of all, I would say um, I I really uh, have said for years that my favorite of the Hallmark movies is one from a number of years ago called The Nine Lives of Christmas, in which a firefighter finds a cat and then there's a woman. She also has a cat. The cats like each other. The people get to like each other, blah, 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 blah. It's the best one. It's incredibly charming. And this year they made a sequel to the nine lives of Christmas wow. called the, the nine kittens of Christmas <laughs> in which these two people find a box full of adorable kittens and they have to find homes for them. And it turns out that these people who got together in the first movie have not been together since then. So they have to like get back together and a Christmas movie that has the chutzpah to actually just have a box of kittens, I think is really committing to the bit in a way that I greatly admire. And I found the movie just very charming and lovely and I liked it. Cute. Let me go to caller Susan in Palo Alto. Hi, Susan. Thanks for waiting. Hi, I'm an avid Hallmark fan and have <laughs> been for years and record all the Christmas movies, the Valentine movies. I'm such a big fan that I planned a Hallmark location tour for myself because I look up and see where they're filmed. Most of them are filmed in Canada, in British Columbia, although some of them are filmed in Winnipeg now. 
because I think they're getting competition from the new GAC family channel. Mm. I think Hallmark is the best. I've watched a few Lifetime, but Hallmark is my favorite. And I did go to Abbotsford where they were filming An Enchanted Christmas with Tyler Hines and Bethany Joy Lance. And now I've gotten my husband into watching some of the Hallmark because they're happy and you smile. And with what's going on in the world, it's wonderful to get away and watch all this charm. Well, thank you, Susan. I can tell you are a super fan as well. Um, appreciate what you have to say. Let me go to Jean Cherie in San Francisco. Am I saying your name Hi, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, thank you. Um, I'm, I'm a sculptor, and I have been posting um, pictures and stories of things that I've sculpted over the years. And one thing was I uh, did this uh, sculpture, Patty Duke, for a season for Miracles, which was a a Hallmark, a Hallmark um, movie, and I actually flew up to Portland. She drove in from uh, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and I took pictures of her. And when I posted that on Facebook, I got people that just said, oh, I love Patty Duke, and so many people are remembering um, her, and that was really fun. They like to hear the uh, connections of that. So oh. that well, was good. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Well, Debbie writes, ours is not a holiday movie per se, but our family always watched Sound of Music growing up. A lot of Nazis and nuns, but no Christmas trees. But it feels very holiday to me because it was something that we watched growing up and now I'm doing it with my kids. And another listener writes, for me, a holiday movie is anything I can watch with my teens. It's so hard to find films we can all watch comfortably together. And I can't tolerate the superhero films. Last year, it was Knives Out. This year, we're hitting Lord of the Rings. The together time with my older kids makes it a holiday film for me. Ah, that's interesting, um, Linda Holmes, when we're thinking about movies that aren't Christmas but still say Christmas to people. I guess it has a lot to do with what the holiday means and the timing of them, maybe? Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, a, a holiday movie is whatever means holiday to you. And that's why, you know, people go around there, you know, people who do and don't think that this or that is a holiday movie, but really it has to do with whether it feels holiday like to you. The same thing's true of food and music and all kinds of other things. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I happen to know some people who, who love to sit around together during big family celebrations and watch Tremors. So maybe Tremors is a Christmas movie to them. That's completely fine. Anything can be a holiday movie if it's part of your holiday celebration. Mm, interesting. Some people might debate you on that. Jose tweets, any thoughts on Latin representation for storylines, including but also creating? For example, it makes a difference that Cristela Alonso, a holiday movie, I think made a holiday movie. I, actually, I think we tried to get Cristela, on, Cristela onto the show today, but wasn't able to come on. But yeah, any thoughts or recommendations on films with representation of that next people thoughts linda holmes i know there is one this year that i'm gonna bl i'm blanking on the title of with um and maybe it is hers with mario lopez and um yes holiday in santa fe Kristen Sorry, yes, I knew I, yeah, I knew I was going to forget the I knew I was going to forget the title, but I I did note that one because it did look. Uh, go ahead, talk about that one because I'm not sure that I remember the details. Yeah, tell us. 
Well, I Holiday in Santa Fe, I think, is the one that you're talking about. And um, that does star Mario Lopez and Emerald Tubia. Um, and that was it was delightful. It was set in World Santa Fe. Um, and it's, you know, Mario Lopez, the family business is a Christmas store. He goes back home. The family wants to sell the store. The woman is uh, the person who might buy the store. Um, so the usual hijinks ensue. But yes, it is great um, Latinx representation and and um, yeah, a, a really good entry into the canon. Do you think you're seeing more of that, Kristen Meinzer? Because I think Jose's tweet isn't just recommendations, but also thoughts on how representation is yeah. happening in that space for Latinx actors and stories. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say that there is a huge underrepresentation of Latinx representation in the movies overall, including the holiday movies, which is such a travesty when you look at the box office numbers of who is buying the most tickets. And um, there is like an inverse uh, relationship between who is buying the most tickets versus who's represented the most with Latinx people being very, very deprived. So yeah, it's a real issue. And um, I will say that I think a lot of networks are trying to, you know, make adjustments for that, try to bring in people who maybe their stories are not always told in the movies, but sometimes when they bring in those people, they aren't necessarily bringing in their heritage. So, you know, Christina Milian has been in a number of movies. Mario Lopez, who's already been mentioned, has been in a number of Christmas stories as well. But we don't always necessarily see their culture being brought in. And I'm, I'm hoping that's going to change more with time because we do see a little bit of it here and there starting to happen with other cultures. And I, I would like to see that happening more with Latinx culture. Well, Michael writes, Disney's A Christmas Carol. Terrific animation and all the bells and whistles. It ends well, as you remember. Gladina writes, Enemy of the State is a great holiday movie in the die-hard tradition. And Michael tweets, it's a tie between Bad Santa and A Christmas Story, probably because both are from a guy's point of view. And not only is Die Hard a Christmas movie, but so is Lethal Weapon. <laughs> All right. Sounds like Michael is throwing it down here. So let's answer this question. I feel like I kind of know what you would say, Linda Holmes, that Die Hard is a Christmas movie because you were just saying a little bit ago that any movie, you know, that makes you feel like Christmas basically is one. So is that where you land? It is. But also, you know, the, the iconography of Christmas is gigantic in that movie from uh, now I have a machine gun, ho, 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 to the Santa um, outfit, to the uh, uh, the wrapping tape, the package tape at the end. There's a whole bunch of, of Christmas um, iconography, including the fact that that movie opens with one of the greatest um, Christmas songs of all time, Christmas in Hollis by Run DMC. Um, is very early in that movie. So yes, absolutely. Christmas movie, obviously. Yes, obviously. All right. What about you, Kristen Meinzer? Oh, absolutely Christmas. And the one argument I hear people sometimes make against it being a Christmas movie doesn't even have to do with the plot of the film, which is very Christmassy in my opinion. Uh, saving the day, you know, the good guys winning, that spirit of Christmas, love, family back together, not to spoil it for anybody. Um, but I think the argument I hear oftentimes that I can kind of understand is it's a movie that came out in the summertime. It did not come out in the autumn or the winter, but I don't care. To me, the plot's all about Christmas. So whether it came out in June or December doesn't matter to me. It fills me with that Christmas spirit. <laughs> what about you, Ashley Spencer? I'm going to have the unpopular opinion and say it is absolutely not a Christmas movie to me. 
Um, and, and that's because all of the things that we've been talking about, the, the rest of these Christmas films, they're invoking this comfort and this cozy and this sort of just sweet, safe space. Die Hard makes my blood pressure rise. It is stressful. There are machine guns. Um, and also John McClane is just too cool. People in Christmas movies should not be cool. They're <laughs> dorky and sappy. And this is way too suave and sleek. It is not a Christmas movie to me. We're talking about what makes a good holiday movie and clearly what qualifies with Ashley Spencer, Kristen Meinzer, and Linda Holmes. And you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Well, listener Anne wants to weigh in. If one excludes Die Hard because the only thing that would qualify it as being a Christmas movie is that it takes place during a corporate Christmas party, then Love Actually would also have to be excluded. Love Actually takes place across the year and only peaks at Christmas. But for some reason, I even more intuitively think of Love Actually as a Christmas movie. However, I'm on the side that Die Hard is all also a Christmas movie. So really quick, Love Actually has had sort of an interesting reputation. I feel like it's definitely one of the ones that has not aged well. What do you think, Kristen Meinzer? I am not a fan of Love Actually. Mm -hmm. I, I know a lot of people who hold it near and dear to their hearts, and I don't want to yuck your yum if that's the thing that you love most during Christmas time. Go ahead, enjoy it. But I just hate that overall the theme seems to be if I am an older man who has power over you, my younger female employee, then this is going to work out fine or there's going to be sexy vibes or, you know, whatever that's going to be. However, if we are a relationship of equals, this is never, ever, ever going to work out. And that seems to be the case with every relationship in that movie. I have to be a man who has complete power over you and probably employs you and is in charge of your paycheck. Yay, Merry Christmas. No, not a fan. Not a fan of that. Well, Linda Holmes, what do you think we will see? What is the audience demanding these days in terms of uh, holiday films and, and which ones are destined to become classics as a result of meeting viewers, viewers' expectations? I think, you know, one of the things that's interesting is that I don't think you're getting so many of these kind of big theatrical movies like Love Actually anymore that are really kind of playing into that Christmas thing. And by the way, I think if you took out everything except the Laura Linney part and the Emma Thompson part and you made it the world's saddest short, um, that's a decent movie, right? Um, but I think viewers aren't really going for those theatrical movies anymore. Uh, they're more going for these made-for-cable movies. I don't know how many of them are going to be indelible. And you really never know, like, these Netflix rom-coms. I think probably the Princess Switch ones are going to be around for a long time. I think people like her. I think they appeal to people of a lot of different ages. Royalty is very indelible as a, 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 a sort of a motif for romance films. Um, but I don't know. I'm not sure that I see a lot of like big theater movies like you used to get big, like Christmas theater movies. Yeah. Well, Patricia tweets, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Amazing Claymation is ultimately about how being different is really an asset and should be valued a timeless and important lesson. And so there's a classic right there. John writes, every year my family fires up YouTube, doesn't cost a penny and listen to A Child's Christmas in Wales, read by Dylan Thomas himself. Besides offering a, yeah, besides offering a cross-generational bonding experience with my mother, it's full of wonderful and often baffling nostalgia, features an historically marginalized nation, Wales, and is 20 minutes of pure auditory comfort without resorting to hallmarky treacle. Well, John, thanks for, uh, for letting us know about that. And Nancy tweets, if you like snark with your mistletoe, 
the ref. <laughs> well, I want to thank our listeners for all of their recommendations. And I also want to thank Ashley Spencer, entertainment writer and author of the forthcoming book, You're Watching Disney Channel. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Also, Kristen Meinzer, co-host of the podcast Movie Therapy with Rafer and Kristen. Really appreciate you being on with us as well. Thank you so much and happy holidays to you. Thank you. Happy holidays to you and to you, Linda Holmes, co-host of NPR's Culture Happy Hour. Such a pleasure to have you on with us. Oh, great to talk to you and everybody. So we've been talking about what makes a good holiday movie movie on this eve of Christmas Eve. And I just want to thank you, our listeners, for being with us all year and also our team. Grace One produced this segment. Forum is also produced by Judy Campbell, Tina Lauerberg, Ariana Prail, Blanca Torres. Caroline Smith is our engagement producer. Susan Britton is the lead producer for the 10 o'clock hour. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, Katie McMurrin. And this week we had help from Brendan Willard, Jim Bennett, and Chris Hoff. Our interns are Kimia Akbari and Jennifer Eng. Our executive editor is Ethan Tobin Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Mina Kim. Have a very joyful weekend. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply, not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening Because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.